Well, I might invite everyone to uh, start finding your way back to your seats. Let's pray before we dive into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you for your word, which is useful for training, correcting, rebuking, growing in you. We thank you for your word that tells us about your love for us. And we thank you for your word which teaches us about our need for you. Our need of salvation. Our need of forgiveness. And the one who offers it to us. We pray that as we come to your word today that you would lead lead us into living your word as we go out of this place. Plant it deep within us by your spirit that it will bear good fruit. We trust that you are with us as your word is spoken. And we pray that you will help us to not just know it, but to love it and to live it. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up our series in 1 Corinthians, starting at chapter 14, verse 1, for those who want to follow along in their own Bibles. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sound, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Now, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. And the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. 
For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Now, in regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written... With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Who would like to hear that from a visitor to our church? Or a visitor to your home? Or your Bible study group? Or whatever ministry that you might be involved in. God is really among you. We like to hear good things, of course, about people that we know, about groups that we're a part of. We like to hear good things about our footy club that we support or we're a part of. We like to hear good things about our business, you know, if, if it is, you know, if, so long as we have positive feelings about our business or our place of work. But in the case of a church family, this is about more than just compliments. It's about the church being what they're supposed to be. The family of God, the kingdom of God, where people can come and they can see God is really among you. God has really made a difference in you. And I think it's fair to say that that is not what, the people, what people would have been saying about the Corinthian church with the things that we've been looking at, with all of the misunderstandings and all of the problems that they had in their church. And we see in this section, we've been, from chapter 12, he's been talking about the spiritual gifts. And it started off with particularly talking about those who put certain spiritual gifts on a pedestal. And it seems like tongues was probably among those and said that if you don't have these spiritual gifts you're not a member of the church. Or maybe slightly softer than that, but if you don't have these gifts, you're some kind of second-class citizen in the church. And Paul spoke in chapter 12 about how there were many gifts, just as there's many parts of the body, and no one is more important than any other. 
In chapter 13, he's spoken about love, not just because he felt like talking about what love is in the middle of this section about tongues and, st- and spiritual gifts, but because that was precisely what the Corinthians lacked in their exercise of the spiritual gifts. For a lot of these people, church was an opportunity to show off. Look how spiritual I am as I stand up there proclaiming things in tongues that nobody understands. But look, I have this spiritual gift. Look how good I am. And we know there's, a, there's more to chapter 14, which I decided was going to be too much for one message, uh, one message so we'll look at that next time. But it sort of says that they're all shouting over each other all at the same time. Somebody had something they wanted to say, so they just got up and said it while five people were already talking, and it was just chaos in their church, in their gatherings together. But the good news is, for a church that was a little bit off the rails, Paul tells them and us the key to showing that God is really among us, to being the kind of church that God wants us to be. And he tells us in verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And especially, he says, a little further down, the gifts that build up the church. Paul begins by comparing two spiritual gifts that we looked at back in chapter 12, tongues and prophecy. No one understands tongues, he says. You know, one, you, the person's praying along, not even they really know what they're saying. No one understands. Their mind is unfruitful. But prophecy, someone who prophesies, strengthens and encourages and comforts others. Someone speaking in tongues, he says, edifies themselves. But somebody who speaks a word of prophecy edifies the church. Now, What is edifies? That's probably not a word we use every day. And it's not one we come across uh, in most workplaces. Maybe if you were uh, some kind of architect or something. You might have heard of the word edifice for the face of a building. Edifies is a construction term that Paul has borrowed. To edify is to build up. The person who speaks in tongues builds themselves up. The person who speaks a word to the church that they can understand builds the church up. Now Paul's been arguing in chapter 12 that those with certain gifts like tongues aren't better than any others. We've seen, as I noted, that He's followed that with a look at what it means to love one another. And he calls us to follow the way of love. And that all coalesces into what he's saying here is that a church that follows the way of love is a church that wants to build each other up. A church that cares about other people and growing other people in their faith. And not just about me and the appearance of my spirituality before others. 
And it's a good reminder for today. I don't think we have too many people in the church that have been trying to get up the front here and speak in tongues to show off how good they are. But tongues isn't the only gift that can be used selfishly. We can, you, somebody can come up, they can sing or play music. They can preach. They can lead a Bible study group from a heart that wants to say, look at how good I am. Rather than, here is something for you. Here is something to build up the church. Here is something to be an encouragement to one another. Here is something to show how good God is. So I want to think for a moment. Think of your life. And think of somebody who has built on your life. Somebody who has been a builder. Somebody who has invested in you. Made you something of who you are today. Whether it's just a word in season that really meant something to you. Whether it's somebody standing alongside you through a difficult time and showing God's love to you in that way. That's somebody who was following the way of love. Somebody using the gifts that God has given them to build something in you. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to be for other people. And of course that is, you know, all comes under the bigger banner that we saw uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians, of following the example of Christ. Look at how much he invested in that bunch of knuckleheads that followed him around and didn't understand half of the things that he was trying to tell them. And the same patience he had with them when he, they got things wrong, he has with us when we get things wrong. Paul encourages us to desire to be builders. Desire to have spiritual gifts, not because we want to look good, but because we want to be useful. Because we want to be able to help other people. How can we build someone up in their faith today? What can we do for someone? After, you know, over tea or coffee after the service. Over lunch with family or with friends. Uh, wherever we go throughout our afternoons, how can we build somebody up today in their faith, in their walk with Jesus, in their life? And so Paul says to this church, if we want to build one another up, tongues isn't the way. And he uses himself as an example. Would it help you at all if I came and I spoke to you only in tongues? Would that do anything for you? It would be pointless unless I also brought you, you know, a word of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or a word of instruction. What would help is something that they would understand, something that would mean something to them. And so he says that he'd rather use five words that people could understand in a church than 10,000 words, no matter how spiritual they might be, that nobody could understand. Now, from all of that, we might think that Paul is you know, down on the gift of tongues, that he has a problem with the gift of tongues. And that's why I think in this passage he takes the pains to say, I'd like everybody to have tongues, the gift of tongues, but more importantly, I'd like everybody to have a gift 
like prophecy that's useful to the church. And he says to them, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Not as a boast, but to say, I'm not saying this as somebody who's jealous of the gift of tongues. I've got it. And it's not for church. It's not for building one another up. Unless, he gives the caveat, and we'll look at this a bit more next time, unless there's somebody who happens to have the gift of interpretation and of understanding what those tongues might mean. So Paul thinks the gift of tongues is good when the Christians in the church were using it correctly, using it praying and singing in the spirit with themselves, but also you know, not switching off their brains while they do so, but reflecting on God as they did so. But he said this, this gift is of little value for the time when we come together to build one another up. Now, I know in this church today, we have some very different attitudes towards some of the gifts that Paul is talking about in these passages. I know there are some that, uh, and, you know, say you have the gift of tongues. And so we have others who, uh, you know, follow some, some theologians who believe that these spiritual gifts were for a special time in the establishment of the church and that these gifts don't exist anymore. Now, there's one thing that I'm absolutely you know, firm on in this, based on all that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians so far, and that's that we love one another when we have a difference where we stand on some of these things. My personal thought, I believe that there was a sense in which uh, the New Testament was a very special time in which God was showing that something really new and special was happening. And so we see a greater degree of things happening, and we see that during the Bible, uh, where there are periods of greater miracles happening to show, you know, for, for God to show something important was happening. We see this in the time of the Exodus. We see this in the time of, um, you know, Elijah and Elisha. And we see this in the time of the Gospels and of Acts. But I'm not close to the idea that these gifts have continued today. I, I'm more than willing to accept that they may you know, be for today as well. But I do think that if you do have the gift of tongues, then you really do need to listen to what Paul has to say in these passages. But we don't often face a situation where somebody wants to speak in tongues in this church. Uh, probably partly because of these verses, people know not to just get up the front and start saying something that nobody can understand. So how does God's word, these passages that were written down for the Corinthians but were also written down for us, speak to us today? What do they have to tell us? I think our church might not have an issue with this, but we know that there are some charismatic churches where... They're very strong on the gift of tongues. I think, I think there are many, many charismatic churches where they love Jesus and people in those churches you know, will see them in the kingdom of God. But I do think these uh, verses encourage us to show caution, especially about those places that would say tongues is necessary to be a Christian. We should be extremely cautious 
about a church that would say that. And if a church was to have people getting up and speaking in tongues without translation, um, I don't think that necessarily means they're not saved, but it does mean they've got something from God's word a little bit wrong. And it might just be something that we want to keep in mind. But there's also more to it than just... I think we can apply this more broadly than just whether or not we should have tongues in church, but it's a good reminder that it doesn't matter how good a message is, it's not going to do any good unless people understand it. I think this would be a great encouragement to those who spend their lives toiling away in Bible translation so that people can read their, read the scriptures in the language that they know and love and can understand. But it's also a good reminder for us when, we're, when we are sharing the things of God that we avoid Christianese. Have we all heard some Christianese before? We go up to a... Well, I, I'm probably too fond of using this example, but you don't just go up to somebody who's never heard anything about the gospel and ask them if they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Um, they would have no idea what to do with that. But even our important biblical words, justification, sanctification, if you are going to use those sort of words, you, you kind of have to explain them along the way, especially with people who haven't heard these kind of words before. Salvation even. It's a reminder that we want to make sure that when we give a message, when we share something about God, that who, the people we're talking to know what we're talking about. So Paul warns the Corinthians and us not to think like children in wrapping up this section where I can tell you with our kids everything is a competition. Who can get to the car first is a competition. Uh, who can, you know, who can get into bed first is sometimes a competition. Who can, who can avoid getting out into bed the longest is more likely the competition. It's a very common thing, isn't it? Paul says, be mature. Spiritual gifts is not a competition. You don't win having spiritual gifts. They're for us to use in building up the church in building up other people, in being a family. Maturity comes in looking out for where our gifts will help others. And so Paul finishes the section we're looking at today by again going back to that comparison of tongues and prophecy. And this time he focuses on their effect on unbelievers. I'll read the whole thing again. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convict, convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. 
So they'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, if you're following closely, you might have found something slightly confusing in those verses. Paul says tongues are a sign for unbelievers, not believers. And then he goes on to say if unbelievers come into your church and you're speaking in tongues, they're going to be like weirded out and not want to have anything to do with you. What's that all about? How do we understand that, you know, that tension in what Paul is saying there? Well, the key to this section is the quote from Isaiah. With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. What Isaiah was talking about in that passage that Paul quotes was not a gift of tongues like we see it in the New Testament. The tongues that they were going to see, the lips of foreigners, was the Babylonians coming to take them off into exile was a language that they didn't understand by the people who were ruling over them. The language that they didn't understand was then to them a sign of God's judgment on their sin. And Isaiah says, even with this sign, they wouldn't repent So even though it was a sign to them, it wasn't a sign in the sense that it was something that was going to lead them to salvation. And so when Paul talks about tongues being a sign to unbelievers, I think it's this more negative uh, use of the word sign that he has in mind. The kind of thing where it's a sign A tongue that somebody doesn't understand is something that will push them further away from God, not bring them back to God. That then gels with his what he says afterwards about how a um, somebody comes into the church while they're all speaking in tongues and will think they're all loony tunes. This will actually, you know, this will drive them further from putting their trust in God. But if they're prophesying, something very different would happen. Somebody who comes into the church in that context would realise, as every single one of us has put our trust in Jesus, has realised at some point, I need to be forgiven. I am a sinner. I've not just made a couple of mistakes here and there along the way, but I am a sinner. My inclination is sin my heart is set on sin and in opposition to God and I need forgiveness to be convicted that I don't deserve God's love I deserve his judgment I deserve for him to be my enemy because I was his enemy And the secrets of our hearts laid bare before God as we realise that there's no excuse that we can make before God to make our sins go away and make them okay. There's no defence that we can offer to say, 
Yeah, but it wasn't really my fault. Then, at that point, then we can receive the good news. Then it makes sense when we look at the cross and we realise that that was the way my sins were paid for. That was the cost my sins incurred. The wages of sin is death. But because of his great love, he took our death in our place. He bore our sins so that by his wounds we would be healed, that we would be forgiven and given everlasting life. That message is the one that will make a difference on somebody who comes into a church. Now there is a question about what is this prophesying that it's talking about. You've got your charismatic definition where you know somebody gets up the front and they say, you know, the Spirit's telling me that someone in the church is, you know, that this is happening to somebody in the church and that they're struggling with this sin or they have this illness and God is saying this to you. Perhaps. I mean, we do see examples of New Testament prophets that God gave some special knowledge to, like Agabus, who spoke to Paul on his way to Jerusalem. Then you have your more evangelical definition of prophecy, where uh, it's about proclaiming the covenant, proclaiming the terms of the covenant with God, and that's what the prophets did. So... When you look back at the prophets of the Old Testament, yes, sometimes they gave glimpses of what the future was going to hold, but their main job was to say, hey, God gave us these, this law and these covenant blessings if we followed the law and these covenant curses if we didn't follow the law and we're not following the law, so this is all the covenant curses that are going to happen. A big part of, that's a big part of what the prophet's job was, was proclaiming, not the gospel, but their version of it, proclaiming their covenant with God and calling people to return to faith in God. And there's no reason that prophecy wouldn't also have a very similar function today. So there's a lot that see this as really like preaching is prophecy. It's proclaiming God's word. Again, my position for what it's worth, I, I think, you know, the charismatic way might be possible. Uh, I do think there might be some charlatans, uh, you know, that, that go up and they, they prophesy all of these things and they don't use any names, so there's no way for anybody to know if what they're saying is right or wrong. But I'm open to the possibility of, you know, God having, using prophets in the way that he did even in the New Testament, people like Agabus. But that's not the main point. When I think of myself, when I think of what God, had, well, what God has done in my life, I didn't need somebody telling me, you know, up from up the front, some special message about, you know, there's a guy in here called Daniel and he's done this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. I didn't need a secret revelation for God to convict me and to lay my heart bare 
before him. I needed to hear God's word, the gospel. If someone came into our church on any given Sunday, would they see the gospel in the songs that we sing, in the word that is preached, but also in the way that we live and in the way that we use our gifts for one another? Would they see us following the way of love that, like Paul has described us in these passages, challenged, would they be challenged on their sin but awed by the love that God has for us sinners, by the hope of forgiveness and everlasting life. Let's follow the way of love like Paul encourages. Let's build one another up and let's be a people that faithfully proclaim in our words but also in our actions and in our lives the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus the love that we've known in Jesus that we share with others. So that they might be able to say, God is really among you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your servant Paul and for his wisdom that you have given to him and that you have given to us through him. We pray that you will help us to come to church, to Bible study group, to whatever ministries, whatever things we're involved in, not wanting to edify ourselves, but with a heart to edify others. Help us to remember each day the love, the selfless love you have shown for us and grow that sort of selfless love in us for others. May we edify one another, building one another up in love. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a hymn today that sings about that gospel hope that we have. About our sin and our need of a saviour and of his incredible love for us. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee.